Welcome to Tarth Imecha Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Batya Brander, and today we will be studying Haggai, the first chapter. I'm excited to be learning with you the book of Haggai. It is book number nine out of 12 in Treasar, and it really is the beginning of a new time period. If Hollywood was producing the books of Nach, they'd probably call the first book the book of Israel, the second book the book of the first temple, the third book they would call the Book of Exiles, and this fourth book they would probably call the Dawning of a New Era, the Second Temple Era. In fact, the opening Pasuk really gives an insight into so much of what is going on during this time period, which we will explore together. The word of Hashem comes to Chagai, to Zerubavel ben Shaltiel, the governor of Yehuda, and to Yehoshua ben Yehotzadak, the Kohen Gadol. So who are these people, and why are we familiar with the name Zerubavel? So let's just do a very brief outline of the events leading up to the exile of the Jews to Babylonia. At the end of the first temple period, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel, rises to power. A year after he rises to power, he conquers Israel, but he does not make so many drastic changes at that time. The Jews remain in their land, um, and he replaces the king, and he places Yehoyachin, also known as Yehoyah, or Yehoyahu, he places him as king. We'll call that the Babylonian rule stage one. So Babylonian rule stage one um, nothing again changes in the land of Israel. They become a vassal. They have to pay a large tribute to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babel. Fast forward about nine years, and we get to Babylonian control stage two. And that is known as Golis Yechania, where he actually takes the king that he appointed and sends him to Babel. It's also known as Golis Cherushumasker the Gullahs of the carpenters and the locksmiths, wherein the youth and the rabbis are sent to Babylonia. It turns out to be very fortuitous because they set up the, um, the educational and religious institutions in Babel before the Jews come. Stage three occurs 18 years after that initial vassal state, and that is the Chorban, unfortunately, the Chorban of Bayez Rishon, the um, exile of Tzidkiyahu, and that's the one that we're most familiar with. Thus begins what we call the Babylonian exile. Now, there is a little bit of an issue because Yirmiyahu had said that 70 years after the Babylonian Empire, the Jews would be remembered. The Jews would be remembered. Yibalshetzar was the king. He's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar dies. Evamrodach takes over. Evamrodach dies. And now Balshetzer takes over. And Balshetzer is waiting with bated breath for these seven years to be over because the minute the seven years are over, then he can show that, see, Yermiyahu's Nevoah is incorrect. And when he calculates the 70 years to be over, he's actually off by a year. He starts a year too early. But um, he makes a big party, takes out the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash, and that's the famous event of the handwriting on the wall. Indeed, he's killed that night, and the Babylonian Empire is now decimated, and now rises the Persian Medes Empire under the leadership of Darius I, also known as Darius the Mede, and shortly thereafter, Koresh, Cyrus. This is where our story begins, really, because during Koresh Cyrus's time, he allowed the Jews to return to the land of Israel. 
And when we read in Ma'oz Tzor, the words Kate Bavel Zerubavel, we're talking about the events that Koresh allowed the Jews to go back to the land of Israel. About 42,000 Jews went back to Israel. And at that time, the leadership was two people, Zerubbabel, who is the grandson of Yehoyachin, and Yehoshua ben Yehotzadak, who is the Kohen Gadol. He, his father, Yehotzadak, was the last Kohen in the time of the first temple. Here we have the dream team. We have this combination of a political leader and a um, religious leader, spiritual leader. So we have the Kohen Gadol, and we have the descendant of Malchus based of it. And those two individuals come to Eretz Yisrael and lead the Jewish people. It is said by many of the sages that had the Jews merited it, that would have been the final redemption. However, they did not merit it. And therefore, although they began to bring carbonos, they began to bring sacrifices on their newly built altar and began to build the second base Hamikdash. Indeed, the work was halted. And really, we don't hear anything after that for quite some time. Let's go back to Babylonia. Um, so Babylon is no longer the ruling power. Parasamadai is. And the next king after Korosh dies is someone we're very familiar with. His name is Ahasuerosh. And this is where we have the Purim story. The Purim story is taking place in the Persian Medes Empire, also known as mostly the former Babylonian Empire plus Persia plus Medes. So Ahasuerosh, once again, does not allow the Jews to build the second base on Megdash. Now we have the Purim story. Shortly after the Purim story, Ahasuerus passes away, and his son is known as Darius II or Darius the Persian. That is the Daryavesh that we are looking at in our Sefer. So here we have the second year to Daryavesh's rule in Elul, and we're going to Eretz Yisrael. Who is in Eretz Yisrael? Well, there's a Navi named Chagai, there's a leader named Zerubbabel, he's a descendant of Malchus based David. He represents the kingdom. He represents Malchus, kingship. And we have Yehot Sadak, the Kohen Gadol. Comes Hashem and says, Kolomar Hashem Tzvakos. So says Hashem, Lemar, Ha'am Hazeh Amru, Lo Ace Bo, Ace Base Hashem Lihibanos. The time has not come to build the base Hamigdash. He's describing the this status, what's going on to the people with the people who are living in Eretz Israel at this time. Next pasuk, another nevuah on the same day. So it sounds like this one's specifically coming just to Chagai, and this is a message for all the people. Is this the time for you to be sitting, sheltered, covered by your rooftops while my house is being destroyed? And now, says Hashem, I want you to pay attention to what is going on around you. And he begins to describe a pattern. You plant so much and yet you reap very little. You are hungry, but you eat, but you but you don't feel satisfied. Your drink doesn't satisfy you. You're cold, even if you're dressed, and all of your money seems to be falling out of a, a hole in your pocket. 
Um, and this is, again, he's talking to the people in the land of Israel who are trying to make it. And obviously, as you can see, they're not being so successful. And they're just humming along without much blessing. Once again, we hear that same phrase, which we're going to feel is really the very, very big message that, that is indicated in this parrot. Once again, it says, pay attention to what's going on around you. Now, till now, he said, notice the pattern. Wake up and notice what's happening. You're not experiencing blessing with what you're doing. Now he gives them instructions. Alu ha'harva ha'vetem uvenu Hashem. Get up, go to the mountain, bring wood and start building my base of Megdash and I will be happy with it and I will be pleased and I will, I will honor it and says Hashem. So now he's giving them very, very specific instructions. It's time. You thought it wasn't time? It's time. It's time. Then he continues and it says, sounds like something we already heard. We'll see it slightly different. Pano el you turn to much, and it turns out to be very little. Meaning you think you're expecting a lot. It's only a little bit. But when you bring it into the house, it's like uh, it, everything gets either scattered or ruined or rotten. Why is this happening? Because my house is destroyed. But you... But you, each person is running into your own home. Therefore, I'm going to withdraw from the heavens. I'm going to withdraw dew from the heavens, and the earth is going to withdraw its produce. I will proclaim a drought on the land. Everything you're working towards and everywhere, I'm going to cause a drought to affect the grains, the wine, the, the oil, and everything that you do. The Mepershim explained, it sounds like he just said this, so what, what's going on here? Is he repeating himself? And they say that no. The first time it was describing a natural lack of blessing. But now he's saying, I'm giving you a task. And if you don't do this task, then I'm going to bring a curse onto the land. Up till now, things weren't going great because there wasn't blessing in the land. But now God is saying, since I've given you an instruction, it's time for you to do something from here on in. If you don't get moving and start focusing and build my base on Mekdash, then a curse is going to descend upon the land. What's the response of the Jewish people? What's the response of the leadership? By Yishma Zerubavel ben Shaltiel v'Yehoshua ben Yehotzadak ha'Kohen Gadol v'Chol She'erit Ha'am b'Kol Hashem Elokehem va'Al Divrei Chagai Hanavi k'Asher Shalcho Hashem Elokehem v'Yiru Ha'Am Ebnei Hashem. They listen. They all listen, and they're afraid of Hashem. Va'Yomer Chagai Malach Hashem b'Malchut Hashem La'Am. And in this role as a messenger of Hashem, Chagah once again speaks, saying, Ani itchem noom Hashem. I am with you, says Hashem. This prophecy is happening on the 24th day of El, towards the end of the month. Why all of a sudden now is HaKadosh Baruch Hu telling them, Ani itchem noom Hashem, I'm with you. What's been happening for the last 24 days? Vaya'ar Hashem et ruach Zerubavel ben Shaltio pacha Yehuda ve'et ruach Yehoshua ben Yehotzadak ha-Kohen ha-Gadol ve'et ruach kol she'erit ha'am v'yavo v'yasu melacha be'vet Hashem tzvakos elokehem. 
So what's going on? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is awakening within them. He's awakening within them this spirit of strength and fear of God so that they can actually begin to do the early stages of preparation for the Beis HaVikdash. And this is all occurring on the 24th day of Elul in the second year of Daryavesh. So what's going on here? Basically, at the very beginning, they're excited and they're ready to do it, but then they say, stop, wait, we haven't gotten permission from Daryavesh. Daryavesh is the ruling king. It's true we're in Israel and he's in Babylonia, but he controls our country. And for us to start building the base of Mikdash, we can't do it. So what does it say? Hashem comes to him and says, I'm with you. Don't wait. Don't wait for Daryavish's permission. I'm telling you, it's going to be okay. And the very next Pasuk tells us that indeed, they begin to do the work for the house of Hashem Tzvakos, their God. And here, although they're not actually building the base Hamikdash, they are preparing the stone, they're hewing stones, they are cutting wood, they are bringing the wood to the correct place so they could start. The message of this parak is multifold. First of all, at this time, if the Jews merit it, this could be the Beis HaMedash with a capital T. When Hashem says, build it and I will be happy with it, the Echabda, and I will honor it, Malbim brings down that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is saying, if you do tshuva and do what you're supposed to do, I will honor it. This will be it. We will not need a bayish shlishi. On the other hand, Echabda is written without a hay. And Rashi brings down from the Gemara Yuma that there are five things that are lacking in this base Hamigdash. It doesn't have the same spiritual qualities that the previous base Hamigdash has. And it manifests itself in five different areas. And what we see here is the dichotomy, the dichotomy between the potential, where at this point in time, there's still hope, and the actual, which is, as we know, ultimately, this base Hamigdash is destroyed. And we are waiting and waiting for the third base Hamigdash to be built. Another very important message here is the idea that a person has to recognize that when things are not going the way they want to go and it's it's not it's not fitting into place so then it's time to stop step back and simu levavchem al darkechem that is the message of this parak as well i'm reminded of a story from sarashnira who is not only the mother of the Beis Yaakov movement, but really is the mother of girls' education and women's education in Torah across the board. When she first was inspired to start a program, she started it for adult women. She started something in the like 25 to 40 range, and it didn't go. And she tried, and she put so much effort. It didn't go. It didn't go. It didn't go. So she didn't just keep beating a dead horse. She said, okay, I have to rethink the idea. What is the message here? What do I need to do? And she stopped and she went to the younger kids and she started working with the young girls. And in a very, very short time, she went from one to five to 20 to hundreds of schools. And she would train the girls and then send them out to various different shtetls. And boom, we have another school. So that message of if it's not fitting into place, then maybe this is a message. I need to examine what's going on and ask myself what is what is wanted of me. And I think that the last point that's important to bring out for this parak is the repeat of the words ace. 
eight, time. Is it time? Is it time? And to look at the contrast between Balshetzar, who couldn't wait for those 70 years to be up, and Achashverosh, who couldn't wait for those 70 years to be up, both of whom created parties to celebrate that the 70 years were up and the Jews were not redeemed. The reality is that Daniel explains that the 70 years that Jerusalem is going to sit in Harava in destruction for 70 years, and that's when they'll be redeemed. So there's a partial redemption 70 years after Babel, but the full redemption is really supposed to happen 70 years after the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the first temple. And so what we have here is the 70 years have passed. Where are the Jews? Where's their eager anticipation for this date? They've just experienced an incredible miracle. Everybody knows about it, Purim. The leadership is positively inclined towards the Jewish people, and yet everybody is just going about their business, not even noticing. That concept, Supita Yeshua, anticipating the Yeshua, the salvation, that's what they should have been doing, and unfortunately they weren't, and so HaKadosh Baruch wakes them up, and the beauty of this parak ends with the fact that, yes, they do get up and they start actually building the second base Hamikdash. Thank you for studying together, Le'ilu Nishmat Riva Bat Alexander Sender.